continuing along the chronological life of Jesus, and we are reading in John chapter 11, verse 55. John chapter 11, verse 55, and we're in the last week of Jesus' life. So, he's going to die. Uh, 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 so, so uh, he's going to die on, a, an, uh, on Passover. And, and so, this is the following Friday. So, now we are the Friday before this. And he's going to die that Friday night, actually, which is considered Saturday. But, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, he's going to die on that Friday afternoon. It's not Saturday. He's going to die on this Friday afternoon. So, this is... It says now in verse 55, John 11, verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, it was they were to report it so that they might seize him. So this is in John chapter 11, verse 55 through 57. And so what we have seen is that Jesus is coming up now from, from the area around Jericho. And in fact, uh, uh, Shereen and I actually visited Jericho on this last visit. And, and he's coming up from this area of Jericho. And it's about a week before. And, and as he's on the way, there are many Jews who already arrived in Jerusalem more uh, a week before the Passover. Why are they arriving there? It says to purify themselves. There are many things that, according to uh, 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 the the the, uh, the law, that they could be uh, called impure because of certain emissions, because of touching certain things and doing certain things. So they had to purify themselves. So many of them would come to Jerusalem a week early just to get away from their homes and their farms and their normal life just so that they could be sure that they were purified and ready for the Passover. And so they were all talking. So there was this, all this talk, all this chatter about Jesus because every male was supposed to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. We, the, the, this is the fourth Passover that we're seeing. This is the fourth Passover that, that's, that's during the time of Jesus' ministry. So this is three years and four months or three years and six months since the beginning of his public ministry because we, since the beginning of where we see the ministry of Jesus because we picked it up about... Uh, 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 so this is the fourth Passover. So it, it, we picked it up a few months before Passover, several Passovers ago. And so his public ministry was about three years or four months or three years to six months, something like that. This is the last Passover, and so they, they knew that he must be coming. But the chief priests had said, if anybody sees him, they're to turn him in. Because we, as we read previously, they had put a death sentence on him. They were going to kill him. Now what I want you to do is I want you to turn to John, turn over the page to John chapter 12, and we're going to read on from here. And... And uh, remember that the, the uh, only Luke's gospel is the one that's in chronological order. In John, it skips around, as in the other two gospels as well. So we're going to read John chapter 12, verse 1, and then skip on down to John chapter 12, verse 9. Because there's a portion between 2 through 8 that has to do with another occurrence. So John chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Okay, so Jesus comes not first to Jerusalem because it's six days still before the Passover. He comes to Bethany. 
Where is Bethany relative to Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem is sitting up on a mountain top, and then there's a valley, and then you go back up again, and you're at the, at the Mount of Olives. And, and uh, it was often where Jesus was in that place praying. And then you go down that from the Mount of Olives. In the middle of the slope there, there's Bethpage. At the bottom is Bethany. So to get from Bethany to Jerusalem, you know, I don't, I don't know what the paths were at the time, but uh, uh, if you were just directly walking up and back down into the valley and then back up again, I'm guessing not more than about 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes, depending on how you might walk. And, and uh, even uh, we were living just now in, in East Jerusalem, and I went down into one valley and back up one hill. And uh, um, so from my house to the university, it was, it was on, on two different hills, and it would take me about 12 minutes at a very brisk, brisk pace. Um, uh, so it, it gives you an idea that these places were not far from each other. And so they, Jesus goes to Bethany to stay at the home of Lazarus, often where he liked to stay. And there was Mary and Martha were there. That was Lazarus' brother and sister. And Lazarus was the one whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now in verse 9, the large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, in verse 9, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. So, Jesus went six days before the Passover. He's going to stay at Lazarus' house. Often loved to stay at Bethany. And then the Jews heard from Jerusalem, they heard that Jesus is there. Not, not in, in, in Jerusalem yet, but in Bethany. So they say, well, let's just walk there. You know, we're talking 30 minutes maybe. And so they're just going to walk down a hill, back up and back down. And, and uh, um, when I say a mountain, I don't mean like Mount Everest. I mean, it's, the, the, these, are, the, these are hills. And uh, um, so, so um, they don't just want to see Jesus. They also want to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, if you look in verse 10, and I want to key in on this, but the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death, to death also, because on account of him, many Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Now, we saw the last time when we talked about the resurrection of Lazarus that many Jews believed on Jesus as a result of that resurrection, and some went and told the Pharisees. Now, many more Jews were seeing this Lazarus, and remember, this is one that couldn't be explained away by resuscitation, because it was four days. And so, it was really, really many Jews were coming, and so the chief priest said, let's kill Lazarus too. And that's what I want to key in on. This whole idea of hatred. Why would these men, who have dedicated their lives to teaching people, to instructing people in, in the Word of God, why would they all of a sudden, why would they all of a sudden not only want to kill Jesus, but now they want to kill Lazarus too? And what I want to key in on is, is this thought, that, that hatred, hatred, if you hate somebody, it doesn't stop there. Hatred is contagious and it builds and builds and builds and grows. And just coming back from Israel, I've, I, I see this, and I've been going to Israel for about 10 years now, and, and, uh, and I just see, see this, this, this growing. So, 
even among the Jewish believers, meaning Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, they'll, they'll say things to us like, uh, um, we'll be in the park and there'll be some Arabs coming through the park and they'll say, and you know, a fine believing woman who's a Jew who believes Jesus is the Messiah says, don't talk to them. We're like, what do you mean don't talk to them? Just because they're Arabs? They're not my enemies. Why not talk to them? They look like fine people to me. And what happens is, you'd think that, okay, it stops there. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, and I've mentioned what he's written about before, but it, it, it's, it's, it's apropos to what we're talking about. He talks about the Germans and the Jews that lived in Germany. And it says that the Germans hated the Jews and they'd speak badly about them. But that didn't satisfy their hatred. They started throwing stones through the windows of their shops. And you'd think, okay, now that satisfies their hatred. No, it didn't satisfy their hatred. It got worse, so they put them in certain ghetto areas. And you'd say, okay, that satisfies their hatred. It didn't. And so they put them in concentration camps. And you'd think that that would satisfy their hatred, and it didn't. So they went into mass extermination. And even with killing of them, it didn't satisfy their hatred. I see the same sort of thing, that... that uh, um, that if you hate a person or a group of people, it won't stop there. It, that group, that hatred will start to grow. And this is exactly what we see is happening. They hated Jesus and they wanted to kill him. But it didn't stop there. They hate Lazarus now and they want to kill him. Hatred really grows. And what was really amazing to me, and I love Israel. And I, when, I, when I'm there, I pour myself out to try to serve these people in the way that I know how to serve. And the way that I know how to serve is that, is that you know, I teach nanotechnology. So I go and, I, and for free, I go to all these places and I teach. And, uh, um, but what I saw is you see the Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox Jews hate all other Jews because they say they're not real Jews. The, the non-religious Jews hate the religious Jews. They really do. They're, they're just sick of them. And there, there's a lot of demographic reasons why. The Orthodox Jews don't work. They just get, live on welfare and they go and they study their Bible all day. Their children don't go to the army and they have very large families. Then you have all the rest of the Jews fighting in the army and defending the country. And so there's this resentment that here all these people are on welfare, very, uh, very many of them, and they're not doing anything for society. And those who are the ultra-Orthodox say, well, you're not real Jews anyway. We're the real Jews. And so what I saw here is that there's this hatred growing, not just Jew toward Palestinian or Jew toward, toward Arab. It's even Jew on Jew. Really interesting. And this is where this, this word started just driving home to me. If we hate anyone, it's not going to stop there. And if you think, oh, you know, this, is, uh, this couldn't happen to me. Oh, yes, it could. It could happen to anybody. You could start picking this thing up. So I want you to turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. So turn to Romans chapter 12. And let's look at verse 9. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So... He says, let love be without hypocrisy. So in other words, you could have love with hypocrisy. What is that? 
Well, we're going to see what love with hypocrisy is. But love with hypocrisy is where we love one group of people and not another. That's love with hypocrisy. It's hypocritical love. And then he, he goes on. He says uh, um, in verse 14 of, John, of Romans chapter 12, Blessed are, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So in other words, you could see, hey, that person did this to me, so I'm, it's okay if I hate them. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible turns the whole thing around and says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Not just that somebody has done something wrong to you, but you're to bless those who persecute you. Persecution is something that comes all the time. It's not just a one instant sort of thing. He says, bless them. This is what he's called us to. And if you don't have Jesus in your heart, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you cannot do this. This is foreign to you. You will be unable to do this. Only once you have Jesus in your heart could you do something like this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. You see, do not be haughty in mind. Don't think that your little way, that your little group is the good group, is, is the good group of people. I'll tell you, there's every people group has this thing about them that... that uh, um, this hierarchy. And you will see this. The people, one people group, one, one uh, uh, ethnicity will think that they're better than another ethnicity. And the Bible says you are not to walk that way. You are not to walk that way. He, see, he, says, he says that uh, uh, you're not to be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. People that you would even view as lowly, associate with them. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So in other words, you're not, we're not supposed to think that, hey, you know, we're, we're the better group of people, we're the better nationality, we're the better religion, we're the better people group. We're the... it's, it's supposed to go away. He says, in Christ, that goes away. He says in verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So if we think, oh, well, that person was wrong to me, did wrong to me one day, and so I'm just always going to hate them. He says, no. He says, never, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. God calls us to be at peace with all people. Now, I, I'm not one who feels that we shouldn't have armies. In fact, there were soldiers that came to John the Baptist and said, what should we do? And John the Baptist said, this is in, in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist said, don't extort money from people, don't accuse people falsely, and he says, be content with your wages. He never told those soldiers, don't be soldiers. Here he says, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him... Drink, for in so doing you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is how you overcome evil. You don't just say, okay, well, I won't do anything. No, you overcome evil by doing good acts. You overcome evil by doing good things. People tell me, oh, I don't get along with my boss. I say, well, find out what your boss likes. 
This one young lady was telling me, well, I know he likes, he likes hunting and fishing because uh, I see certain magazines on his desk that have to do with hunting. I said, okay, this is what you're going to do. I want you to go to the magazine shop and I want you to buy several outdoor, outdoorsman magazines on hunting and fishing ones that you haven't seen on his desk, you buy them and you give them to him and you just say, I thought you might like these. And you know what happened? He was really excited about that. And, but the bigger thing is what happened to this young lady. She started liking him more. When you do a good act for somebody, you like them more. Now the young lady, I told her, what is your boss like? Because she was really upset with, with, with this uh, boss she had. She said, well, I... I, I said, does she drink Starbucks coffee? She says, yeah, she comes in every morning with Starbucks. I said, okay, find out what kind of coffee she drinks, and then you go down at lunch time to Starbucks, and you buy her one of the big ones. I don't know, the venti. You buy her one of those. And she did it. And she said, my boss was like amazing. And, and everything started to calm down. And so her boss started inviting her out to lunch. You overcome evil with good. So what you do is C.S. Lewis puts it this way. You say, if this person, if I love this person, you say, well, I don't love them. Fine. If you love them, if you love them, what would you do for them? Go buy them a Starbucks coffee. Okay. Whatever it is that you would do for them, if you love them, you do it. And it will cause you to love them. It says you overcome evil with good. You do good acts, you overcome evil. That is what he's saying. That is what he's talking about. I want you to look at it. There, there are other instances here. We'll talk about this love and, and uh, um, uh, th- this issue of, of uh, hypocrisy and love. So I want you to turn to, um, let's see, to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. And let me just paint the picture for you. Antioch was Paul's home church. Paul was based out of Antioch. It was out of Antioch that they sent forth Paul and Barnabas. Antioch, it tells us, had lots of different elders. Some of those elders were of Jewish origin. Some of those were of Greek origin, not of Jewish origin. It was a, it was a very ethnically diverse church. The church in Jerusalem was not ethnically diverse. The church in Jerusalem had Jews who became believers in Jesus. It was not ethnically diverse at all. And the, the church in Jerusalem was very stuck up because it was in the church in Jerusalem where they tried to get Gentiles, those who were not Jewish, to walk according to the, laws, to the, the Old Testament laws. And there was a whole portion in, in Acts chapter 15 that dealt with that. This is, no, you can't put upon non-Jews the things that you Jews can't even live under. So in Galatians chapter 2, what's happening is Peter is visiting the Antioch church. And Peter's just relating to all these these, uh, non-Jewish believers. But then, a party, a group, came from the church in Jerusalem. And Peter started to withdraw from interacting with the people in the church. He wouldn't eat with them because the Jews had come. He didn't want the Jews from Jerusalem to see him interacting with these Gentiles. Does that make sense? And so he pulled back. So in verse 11, But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, 
that means from Jerusalem. James was the head of the church in Jerusalem. He used to eat with the Gentiles, but when he came, he be, but when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. That means the party of the Jews. The rest of the Jews joined with him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So even when Barnabas saw the great apostle Peter withdrawing from dealing with the Gentiles, even Barnabas, who came from the Antioch church, boom, he started pulling away. He started having nothing to do with this. Barnabas was even drawn away by this hypocrisy. So in verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and do not and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? So you, you see, there was this hypocrisy. He, he calls it what it is. In verse 13, he calls it hypocrisy. In ver, it, it, it says uh, twice, he mentions the word hypocrisy. This is love with hypocrisy. We are not to have this between different people groups. So if you think, for example, if, if you're white and you think whites are better, you're wrong. If you're black and you think blacks are better, you're wrong. If you're Asians and you think Asians are somehow superior, you're wrong. This is what I'm talking about. This is what the Word of God is talking about. And if we have this, it is love with hypocrisy. It is hypocritical. And God says, let it go. Let it go. And the other thing is, is uh, you know, there's, there's this instance in... Uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus meets with a, a Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, and we've read through this, but again, it's apropos to what we're speaking about right now. Jesus is sitting by a well. His disciples go into the town in Samaria to buy some food. And the scriptures say clearly in John chapter 4 that the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Look at that. The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The Samaritan woman comes, Jesus is sitting there, and he starts to engage with her in a conversation. Two reasons the Scriptures say that he shouldn't have done this. One, the Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. Number two, she's a woman, and he's a man, and he shouldn't have engaged in conversation. And you know what he thought of both of those cultural things? They're wrong. That's not my fight. That's not the way I view it. And he started to talk with her. So in John chapter 4, verse 4, And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to the city of, uh, a city of Samaria called Sychar, near a parcel of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being weary from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. And it came about at the sixth hour, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For her, his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So look at the cultural practice of the time. The Jews had no dealings with Samaritans because they were like a, a, a mixed race, because a Syrian race had been mixed in with them. They were mixed culturally. They were mixed religiously. They had a very strange offshoot of Judaism that, that they, they, they called uh, uh, the mountain in Samaria, Mount Gerizim, the, the place where they ought to worship. So the Jews would have no dealings with them. In fact, remember, it was Jesus who made the Samaritan look really good in the Good Samaritan story. 
he didn't care about what the culture was of the time. He was going to engage. The Jews hate Samaritans. He says, that's not my fight. I'm going to deal with them. He wasn't going to pick something up that, was not, that, that had nothing to do with him. He, in fact, ministered to the Samaritans. And it goes on in that chapter to say that he shared with that woman. Then people from the town came. He shared with them. And then he stayed in their town for two days sharing with them, ministering to the Samaritans. That's what Jesus did. Look in, uh, um, there's, there's, there's another instance in Luke, in Luke chapter, chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, it says in, in, in verse 51, when the days were approaching for His ascension, He was determined to go to Jerusalem. And He sent His messengers ahead of Him, in verse 52 now, Luke 9:52, he sent his messengers ahead of him and they went and they entered the village of, a, a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what kind of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. You remember as we discussed this, the Samaritans would let Jews pass through Samaria when they were leaving Jerusalem and passing through. That was fine. But they would not let Jews pass through Samaria if they were on their way to Jerusalem. Either they would restrict them from coming in or they would kill them for trying to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was going to Jerusalem. If you don't go through Samaria, if you're up in the Galilee and you want to go to Jerusalem which is south of the Galilee, and you can't go through Samaria, you've got to go way around. It, is, it, it will triple the walk for you to not go through Samaria. He wanted to go to Jerusalem, and, and here he administered in Samaria. Well, they hear Jesus is going with his face toward Jerusalem. They say he, he can't come through here. He's not coming through. So James and John, two of his disciples, say, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? I mean, and, and so often we do this in our defense of Christianity or defense of the gospel. We will squash people. We'll ridicule them, put them down, threaten them in our defense of the gospel. And you know what Jesus says to that? You don't know what kind of spirit you're of. I didn't come to destroy men's lives. I came to save them. He said, we'll go around. I don't want that fight. That's not my fight. You see how he aborted all of this. Because he knew if he was going to pick up hatred toward any people group, it wouldn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. It's contagious. It grows. And so the scriptural warning to us is don't let love be with hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. You overcome evil with good. This is what Jesus has for us. He has good things. Even Joshua in the Old Testament, he was going into Jericho to fight this fight. He sees a man standing there with his sword drawn. And Joshua says to him, are you for us or for our enemies? You know what he says? Neither. I'm here representing the Lord. Take off your shoes. It's holy ground. And Joshua fell on his face. That was a physical manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that because Joshua fell on his face and the man didn't say, get up. He said, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Anytime a person fell before an angel, the angel would say, get up. You know, I'm not God. Don't fall before me. 
This was a physical manifestation of Jesus. He said, I'm not taking sides in this. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm just with the Lord. We're not to take up other people's other sides in this. And, and, and I love Israel, but that, that's not a fight that's my fight. God said, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse, he said to Israel. And I believe that that's true. But he never said that those whom you curse, I, I will curse as well. No. No, I'm not picking that up. I'm going to love these people. I'm going to love them. And this is what God has called us to do. This is what he has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it, that you call us always to something higher, to a higher way. Father, I pray for these young people that you would give them a heart to walk according to the scriptures. If they are feeling hatred in their hearts toward anyone, that they would go and do a good act, an act of good for them. And Father, I pray that that for those here who don't know you, who are unable to do this sort of thing, because the Scriptures say that that without Christ, without the Spirit within us, that we are we are um, we are unable to do these sort of things. In fact, it says that that uh, we are slaves to sin without the Spirit. Father, I pray that you would take these young people who don't know you and you draw them to Jesus. That even this day, they'd open up their hearts and follow Jesus. I pray your blessing be on them in the name of Jesus. Amen.